0: Welcome to the City Collective podcast. We believe we are better together, and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Wonderful. Well, good morning. Glad you're able to be here. Happy New Year. Uh, it is wonderful to start the year together. I I missed you. Um, and I don't know if you missed us, but we definitely missed you. But that's okay. <laughs> we are launching ourselves into a new series to start the year. Uh, we have been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be making our way back to that in, in short order and continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. But to start the year, we wanted to be looking at something in particular that I think is it's relevant to all of us. It's, it's important. It's, it's at the center of all we do, and it's the idea of Relationships. Uh, we're calling this series, It's Complicated. And wh- wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not sure about Jesus, relationships matter, and we hope that this is a safe place that we can explore this idea. I, I think sometimes when we think about the idea of relationships, especially in church, you're like, okay, we're about to have like a dating marriage conversation. Uh, and maybe there's going to be a-, a hint of that throughout the- some point in this series. But to isolate relationship conversations to, to dating or to marriage, I don't think it gives it the full weight that it's deserving of, even within a biblical context. Uh, as, as we start the year, and we're gonna be talking about this idea of relationships all the way through these, these next four, four to five weeks, I think it's important for us to understand at the baseline how relationships actually impact our day-to-day. How they impact who we are to ourselves, who we we are to others, and who we are to God. We need to have this conversation. Uh, Jacques Cousteau, he says, all life is part of a complex relationship in which each is dependent upon the others, taking from, giving to, and living with all the rest. At our very core, we are relational beings. And in our modern world, we've tried to to microwave and and to fast track this this thing that we crave in relationship to be something that that goes like everything else. It moves really quickly. Uh, Whether it's reality TV shows or or, or dating apps, and I'm not trying to to make fun of anything, maybe a little bit of reality TV shows, but it is something that's fast tracked by our culture the way in which we build relationships and have relationships. And, and I, I'm not one to, to make fun of doing things quickly. My wife and I, we, we met in May 2019, and we were married in December 2019. So it, it happened quickly. And I, th- this is not going to be a series about method. So I think the how, it, it varies, and it should vary. You and I, were unique. Our, our experiences are unique. Where we come from is unique. But, but the why is a conversation that we really need to consider. The truth is, healthy relationships are a matter of life and death. I don't know if we all consider it in that way, but I believe that to be true. Like I said, not just in dating, not just in marriage, but in the relationship that you have with yourself, with others, and with the divine. And these relationships fall into these different categories. And to start off the year, I want to begin by probing our relationship with God. So, this is real relationships for real people. If you've spent any time in church, in a church like ours, or within a church tradition, perhaps you've heard the statement, uh, a personal relationship with God. And, and whether you are in a church or in a community or within your local supermarket, I think you're going to find that there are a range of experiences when it comes to an individual's relationship with God. For some, they, they wouldn't even use the word relationships. Maybe they would use exposure or a, an experience with God. For For others, it's just... Simply complicated. Because here's the thing. Our relationships with God, they are complicated. Because they're formed by experiences. But they're formed by our family history, by our friend groups, by our cultural value systems. It's, expo- it's formed by our exposure to faith conversations or faith institutions. What, what has been an input into our relationship with God whether directly, indirectly, purposefully or not, all of this forms forms our relationship with God. And so we need to be aware of this. And how we approach it, because often we use language of our relationship with God that feeds into the complication of it based upon our previous experiences. I've had relationships in the past, and therefore I apply the language of past relationships to my language with God. And then we make assumptions, and we have expectations of our divine relationship based upon our earthly ones. I'm not saying that this is an unfair thing to God, but in reality, it is often not completely true. It's formed by something where we're almost putting words into God's mouth. Where we're forming expectations around God that God is not even presenting to us. I wonder if we are looking at the right words to even explain the one who's giving us an invitation of relationship. So a question I want to ask this morning is are our words depicting a true representation of the relationship that God invites us into? More often than not, they don't. So where do we go from here? Well, I think we need to look at the words used by God in the invitation. In fact, uh, on this first Sunday together of 2023, I want to look at one word in particular. And it's probably not a word that you've been thinking about this morning and it's crossed your mind, or you haven't haven't given it much uh, consideration. And in a time of I think everyone's had resolutions or goals cross your mind. Maybe you're anti-resolution and you're pro-goal or you're just like, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do or I'm not going to tell anyone. what I'm. Everyone's got their approach to New Year's and some of you show your contrarian side pretty hard at the beginning of the year with, with the language that you use. But we all have different pieces and how we approach the beginning of the year. But relationships often make its way in there, in, in the list of must-do's but perhaps not relationship in the sense of this word in particular. The original manner in which the Bible engages with this idea of relationship is through the concept of covenant. Everyone say covenant. I would imagine that in your church vocabulary, you don't use the word covenant very often but it's probably the foundation piece for a life of complicated relationships and one of the most important words for understanding our relationship with God. Uh, over the course of the past four years, we, we've had a, a younger congregation, so I've done a lot of weddings, um, and it's been a wonderful thing to be able to do. It's been a privilege to be able to do that. But in our, in our Western culture... The word covenant really doesn't show up a lot of places other than weddings. I was trying to think back, when, when do I use the word covenant in my everyday vernacular? And it, it, it really doesn't come out other than when I am conducting a wedding ceremony. But within the biblical story, the word co- covenant is a common one. It is showing up again and again and again. There are stories throughout the scriptures speaking of covenant, from a legal binding contract to a marriage commitment, from individuals to cities to kings to, to people groups. If we look through chapters and books of the Bible like 1 Kings and Second Kings, or we look through Proverbs and we look through the Psalms, the language of covenant is used over and over and over again. In Hebrew, it is this word barit, and, and in, in the Greek, it's, a, it's this word diathika, and, and it's these words that are meant to communicate more than simply a nice idea that you change your relationship status to, oh, it's complicated or I'm not single anymore. It, it's more than that. So I, I want to talk about this morning, this idea of covenant and what it actually does for us as we begin our year. Covenant can be defined as being bound together for each other's benefit and for a purpose. It can be defined as a formal partnership to accomplish a goal. It can be defined as a contract to be upheld. Some covenants can have a sacred quality to it, like like a marriage partnership, while others can feel more political in their nature. But in all cases, the common denominator of a covenant is that it is a formal partnership to benefit both parties and accomplish a greater purpose. That's what we're working with. That's what it is at a baseline. And even at this original definition, I wonder if you notice that there's something a little bit different than often the way we approach relationships. Because a covenant speaks of a partnership. And I can't say that all of my relationships feel like a partnership. Feels like some of them maybe have a little more give than take. Maybe some of them have a little more take than give if we're being honest with ourselves. Or we don't even approach it with that mentality of partnership. We just, we just want a friend. And here's the manner in which sometimes the language of our experiences impacts our language with God because our our bar of relationship has become so limited in an individualistic rat, rat race society the bar of relationship has therefore dropped to such a low level with god and we think okay i'm making it easier for god to actually have a relationship with me but in reality For God to set the precedent of relationship with you and with me to be around the word covenant actually communicates that it is of great weight and of value to him. It's actually intended to not just be a nice idea, it is intended to be a partnership. I'm not sure I treat my relationship with God as a partnership all the time. But it seems that he does. Here's what's most interesting and important about this word in the Bible. Uh, Tim Mackey, he puts it this way, that the character who makes the first covenant in the story of Scripture is God. The second person who initiates a covenant in the story of Scripture is God. God. The third is actually a guy named Abram and a guy named Abimelech, and it's in a dispute over a well, but we're not concerned about that. What is important to notice is that the first and most repeated covenant maker in the Bible is God. And God's covenant promises are what drives the story of humanity. So we're going to outline this before we're going to dive into one text in particular. There are four times in the Old Testament in particular where God initiates a covenant relationship, and he does it with Noah, he does it with Abram, he does it with the nation of Israel, and he does it with King David. So with Noah... Noah and his family are the only ones left after God has brought a flood to cleanse the world of human corruption. He makes a covenant to never do so again, despite what might happen in the future. And Noah, actually, in this partnership, doesn't have to do anything. God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows humans can't be. And then Abram enters the picture, and God chooses him, and he promises that he'll give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And, and in return, God asks Abram to raise up a family that would do what was right and what was just. And the whole reason for this covenant is so that God can bless the families of the world through this one family to start off with. God is promising to be generous to all people, even when all people might not choose And then you have the people of Israel where a covenant is made with a whole tribe and God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and they'll become a people who then represent him to the rest of the world. God is promising to give them a greater purpose, even when others can't see it. And then finally, The nation of Israel becomes large and has a king, a king king named David, that comes into the picture. And David and his descendants are meant to partner with God in going forward and setting laws and and moving forward and, and bringing the kingdom that God desired into the world through the nation of Israel. And God promises that one day a descendant of David would come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all nations. God accomplishes the hope of all people, even when all hope is lost. This is what's happening over and over again. All four times in the Old Testament, when the word covenant comes to the forefront, God is looking to accomplish something that is of a greater purpose, despite the current human reality. This is what's the the setting for it all. And the word covenant, it itself represents something about God's nature. Because I want you to hear in the midst of all this, God desperately wants to share his existence with others. And he wants those others to be humanity. Despite the faults and the failures of it, he desperately wants it, and he wants humanity to carry his image and, and to partner with his purpose. The foundation of relationships in the Bible is covenant. But unfortunately, the plot of the Bible is fractured partnership. So I want to look at one person in particular. We're going to jump to the person of Abram. So we're going to go into what is probably a familiar story, but maybe has some unfamiliar context to it. So Genesis chapter 15 is where we're going to turn. Uh, You can follow along on, if you brought your Bible or on the screen in behind me. And it says this, it says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Uh, let's, Let's pause there real quick. Because it says after this, we have to know what has come after. Uh, God called Abram and his family from a land way out east in what we probably call today Iraq and Middle East to, to journey west. And God said that through him and his family, God was going to restore blessing to all the nations of the world. And so he leaves and he actually has his nephew Lot come with him. And then the story takes place where, where Lot actually makes his way down into a valley, and he gets caught in the middle of a civil war between these city-state kings. And he's with the sheep at the time, and he actually ends up getting kidnapped and captured. And what ends up taking place is that Abram feels like he needs to do something about it. And so the story actually goes that it's like this covert night guerrilla operation. He gets 318 commandos and he goes in the middle of the night and he rescues Lot and he gets all of his stuff back. That's what's just happened. And so then we find ourselves in chapter 15 and it says, after this. So you can imagine what the emotional status of our friend Abram is. He's just gone into enemy territory, taken what was taken from him, but he's entered into a civil war scenario. You can imagine what he's feeling is probably fear. So that's why it says this. It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And this feels like an appropriate thing to say to a guy who's scared because of what's just taken place. But it's interesting what's about to be said by Abram. He says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Abram's just done something that was probably seemed impossible, experiencing incredible fear. God says, I am your shield. And He's like, great, that's really nice that you are. But you remember the one time that you promised me this really great thing a while ago? And now, look, this is about 20 years later, maybe 25 years later. I'm over 90 years old at this point. Kids aren't here. I think we've got a problem. This is a burden that I've got and I'm still carrying it. And it's a part of everything that I'm doing. How how am I supposed to actually take you at your word? What's, what kind of reward are you actually going to give me? And this is how it says he, God responded. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man, speaking about Eliezer, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside. And this is probably the part of the story that you've heard before. Took him outside and he said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And verse 6 Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. So maybe you've heard this story before. Looking out upon the night sky, hope and promise presented. It kind of feels like the beginning of the year. You look out and you're like, oh, all the possibilities in front of me. And I think I think it's funny because God asked him to count the stars. This isn't our, our polluted uh, cityscape star viewing opportunity. This is in the middle of of an open land where the stars would have been vibrant in the night sky, countless beyond measure. And God says, look at the stars and count them. And the point is obvious because he can't do that. And then God says, this is what your descendants will be like. And that's the promise. So what would your response be in this moment? You've been waiting, you've been hoping and You feel like there's unfulfilled promise and potential that you've been holding on to. And even when God has spoken the thing that you've needed in the moment, your mind is drawn to what has not come. I don't don't know about you, but often I can be guilty of moving quickly past the things that God has done for me because I'm concerned about the things that I feel like he has not I have have a difficulty to to hold on to the the promises that he has accomplished and and shown me to be true because my mind is drawn to that which my heart seems to long for. Part of the challenge of of being human is, is our fickleness from moment to moment, our inability to find contentedness even in the things that God does show for us and do for us. And Abram is experiencing that firsthand. And then he's told to go look at the stars. And I, I don't know if my response would be as generous as his. Because he, I, I think I'd probably say something more along the lines of, like, you got the wrong guy. I'm, I'm over 90 years old. We're past the point of no return at this moment. Because so often our discontent in our relationship with God is born from a burden of unmet expectation. But let's look at Abram's response. Abram believed the Lord. And I think it's fair to say that there was probably a roller coaster journey of emotions that he went to to get to that point, but we are told the final statement. And it says then that God credited to Abram as what its righteousness and I think it's interesting to, to note that in this covenant relationship, what is credited as righteousness, as right relationship with God, is a posture of trust in God's generosity. So first we know that a covenant is a partnership. But the foundation of a covenant Is radical trust in God's generosity. And belief or trust in the Bible is about relational dependence. It's it's placing myself in a posture of trusting and and dependence. Because this is then what God does. He, He sees Abram make this bold move of radical trust in his promise. And God gives Abram the standing of righteousness. And if we recall back to what we've talked about in the past, the core meaning of what it means in righteousness, it's right relationship with him and with God and and that's the posture that we want as humans with God. Abram's got it right all the way through and then the story continues and God promises him actually that I'm going to expand your land i'm going to give you influence i'm going to continue to bless you and your family and you would think that this nine-year-old man who had just made a decision i'm going to place my radical trust in a generous god and he, he is in right relationship with god would jump on board with this second promise that god gives and his response immediately after trust is skepticism In a relationship with God, the fundamental thing that God wants is trust in His radical generosity. But even in our journeys, trust is hard to hold on to. Trust is hard to keep. Because trust is required experience and moment after moment. And this is when the story gets really weird. So prepare yourself. Uh, Everyone's privy to the skies being open and stars being presented and count the stars and it feels joyful and full of promise. But if we go back to our text, Abram communicates skepticism and God's response to his skepticism is he says, go get a heifer, go get a goat, go get a ram, make sure all are three years old, don't forget to bring a dove And a young pigeon as well. The story just got weird. And it's probably stranger than you remember. This is what it says in verse 10. And then in verse 11 it says that the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. So, So this is what happens in this moment. God calls him to grab all of these different animals. And he gets all of these animals, and in this beautiful stargazing moment, we now have entered a scene from a horror movie as he begins to cut these animals in half. It's a little line in there that you can, if you can pull up verse 10. It says here, Abram, bought all these two hit them, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. We don't know exactly what happened. Maybe he broke the necks. But (laughs) then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. This is a bloody graphic scene. And he takes the carcass halves, and he separates them on opposite sides. He has to fight off vultures and crows. What the heck is going on here? What does this bloody ritual actually mean? Well, we get a clue in Jeremiah 34 where there is Israelite kings who had promised that they would set a group of slaves free. And then those rulers in Jerusalem, they went back on their promise. They really angered God because they had made a covenant and they went back on their promise. And here's what God actually says to those leaders in Jeremiah 34, verses 18 to 20. He says... Those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut into and walked between its pieces the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem. The court officials, the priests, all the people of the land who walked between the pieces of the calf all deliver into the hands of their enemies who want to kill them. The scene that we see here isn't a sacrifice that Abram is making. This is actually a ritual symbol for covenant. This is a ritual in the Bible and in other ancient texts from Israel's neighbors. Now, perhaps you feel uncomfortable with the idea of ritual in the Bible, but this is always important to recognize, that God speaks to his people in a way that they can understand. God utilizes the, the, the traditions and the manners in which people actually communicate and bind themselves to one another to communicate in a way that we can understand his relationship with us. So this is what's taking place here. This practice would have really been understood by the culture of the time and the readers of this text. And this practice is specifically about two parties coming together in covenant. I want you to understand, covenant is a partnership. It's about a radical trust in the the generosity of God and a covenant is of incredible weight. This is what's being communicated here, that we're entering into an agreement through this covenant and the stakes are really, really, really high. This is not just changing your relationship status on Facebook. The stakes are really high in a covenant relationship. Because they would separate the two sides of the animal. And each partner within the covenant would then walk through this bloody aisle to signify the covenant that was being made. And they were committing to whatever the agreement was. If it was a legally binding agreement, maybe it was one was giving wheat, the other was receiving oil, whatever it was, they were making a commitment and they were saying that if I am to break this commitment then I, may I be like the calf or this goat that is on either side of me. This is how weighty and important the word covenant was for this ancient people. Do you see what's happening? It's a symbol of the high stakes of a covenant relationship. This word is intentionally immensely weighty. And it is the word that is used by God when he references his relationship with you. With this in mind, let's return to Genesis in verse 12. Because the story continues. And it says then that Abram, he, he falls into a deep sleep. And he has this, this Dreadful darkness come over him, and he has this dream, and God actually speaks to him, and he tells a story of the, of the time to come. That He told the story of the people that Abraham's family would be, and, and the journey they would go through, and the, the hardships they would experience, and the eventual promise that would be fulfilled. And it speaks of the Exodus story, and the ups and the downs, and when Abraham is going to become a large family, and it communicates all of this in this dream. And yet, Abram, he remains asleep. And it ends with this promise that I've given to you will be fulfilled. But let's remember what's, what's happening. Abram's fallen asleep into this deep, dreamlike state. Nobody's cleaned up the mess around him. He hasn't changed his location. There's still this bloody isle of animal carcasses on either side of him that is just still there in the signifier of covenant relationship. And the dream finishes, and yet Abram remains asleep, and then something incredibly odd takes place. Verse 17, you can put this one up on the screen, says, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot With a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Speaking of the isle. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Who should be walking between the pieces of this bloody isle? Those who are partners in the covenant relationship. You need to understand that when we see in the Old Testament fire or cloud or lightning, it was often a signifier of the personal presence of God coming down to humanity. So what's taking place in this moment is the personal presence of creator covenant-making God is coming down to fulfill the covenant ceremony. And he comes down, and he walks down the aisle. But Abram's still asleep. Abram doesn't do his part. In a traditional covenant-making ceremony, they're both supposed to get up and walk down and make their commitment to each other. And God slips something in Abram's drink and he remains asleep and he walks down the aisle. Something really odd's happening here. And this is what's taking place. God knows that a covenant partnership, a covenant is a partnership, and yet his partner would be lacking. God knows that Abraham's family would not be faithful covenant partners. He knows that Israel would have failure upon failure of relational breakdown. And yet, he still continues to make covenant relationship with Abraham. God initiates a covenant relationship with a people that he knows aren't going to keep up their end. So what does God choose to do? He protects Abel. He protects his partner. He protects them from the worst consequences of a covenant failure. But at the same time, he isn't going to let their failure determine whether or not his purpose for the covenant is fulfilled. God is so determined to fulfill his covenant promises that he's going to fulfill both ends of the covenant no matter the failure of humanity. What does this mean for you and I? It means that when we make a decision to place radical trust in a radically generous God, All of our insecurities, all of our frustrations, all of our failures that we encounter in our relationship with God, do not deter him in his commitment to you. Perhaps this is the thing that you need to hear first and foremost as you start the year. In your resolutions, in your goals, in all your plans for the year, you will have moments where you fall short, but know this, that there is no moment where God is less committed to you than he has always been. Your failures do not diminish his commitment to you. And in this moment, in the symbolism of these bloody animals, we know this. We know who's going to shoulder the consequences of a failed covenant. The one who walks the bloody aisle. The covenant-making creator God of the universe is committed to partnerships with you and I, and he's unwilling to let his partner's failures define their futures. And so he's going to shoulder the the responsibility to be faithful, and he's shouldering the consequences of failure. In the story in Genesis, God is demonstrating his heart for humanity that was going to be part of the narrative from the very beginning to the very end. That God's commitment to you and I is far greater than our commitment to him. And there was going to come a day where every single covenant, the partner that was humanity would fall short. Abraham and his family, they did not live up to their side of it. The nation of Israel, they failed over and over again, and they found themselves in exile. The line of King David fell short. Did not represent the kingdom of God that God was asking for in his covenant relationship. But then comes God himself in Jesus, and he is of the Abrahamic family. He is the Israelite that they needed. He is of the line of David. He is the fulfillment of every single covenant because he was the only one that went up and down that aisle making the covenant relationship in the first place. This is is what relationship is when you make the covenant relationship with God your foundation. That no matter your failure, no matter your fault, God is committed to you and he will make the promises that were already given in that covenant true despite the ways that you fall short. This was the story of Abram, the story of Israel, the story of David, and it is your story today. When you placed your radical trust in a generous God, the promises that were given for generations upon generations are the promises given to you. Promises for a hope and for a future, promises of salvation and and, and eternal life were given to you, and there is nothing that diminishes his commitment to you that you could ever do. Because you and I were sleeping on the side, in the midst of a really gory scene. And we didn't walk the path down the middle. Only God did. Only Jesus did. And when he goes through, the covenant is fulfilled and a new covenant is made. Jesus spoke of this new covenant in the final hours before his arrest. In the upper room, Jesus took the bread and he broke it in half. And he said, this is my body, as if if the heifer broken in two. Do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus says in the same way after the supper, he took the cup, says, drink this. This is the new covenant in my blood. It's being poured out for you. Jesus was the covenant making, the covenant keeping God, holding true to the posture of that smoking fire pot. And he's walking right down the aisle so that others don't have to do it. I partner with you, is what he says. And even though I know our partnership will fail, I will make it still possible for you to receive the blessing. His covenant faithfulness, his covenant love is embodied in Jesus. This isn't God versus Jesus. This is Jesus acting out all that God is from the very beginning so that you and I can be in right relationship with him. This needs to be the foundation of our relationships. This needs to be the foundation for our year. We need to be just simply as followers of Jesus to trust in the generous covenant of love of God. This is what I know to be true. Our relationship with God is complicated. But God's relationship with you is not. He is deeply committed, permanently committed to you, not in just that I will stand on the edge so you can see me, this is the empathetic savior of the universe who sees us fallen into a pit, unable to save ourselves and get ourselves out. He doesn't just look down with sympathy and says, it'll get better, just look at me. We'll, we'll, we'll get through this together, breathe deeply. No, what does he do? He gets down into the pit with us. And he doesn't just go down there unequipped. He come, comes down with a rope, something to get us both out so we can both get out together. deeply committed from the very beginning of time, he had your relationship with him in mind. A covenant, a partnership, radical generosity, incredible weight, and a purpose fulfilled through his generous grace to us. May this be your foundation for relationships this year where it is complicated in every other way. Remember, his relationship with you is not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your goodness in this time together, for the ways that your word speaks to us and presents just the the truth of your pursuit of us from the very beginning of time. From, From the book of Genesis to to here at H D Stafford, you remain the same. The covenant-keeping, promise-making God who pursues us to the ends of the age. So for each of us here this morning, who at the beginning of this year are perhaps hoping to, to set our relationship with God, to come to know you, or we're just carrying deep burdens, I just pray right now over all of those feelings and those the struggles that we're carrying, I pray that we would know how committed you are to us. That our failures cannot reduce it. And even when we do fall short, the promises that are given are still provided because of who you are always. Give us boldness this year. To be a people who live from that promise. That even when things get difficult, we experience joy from you, not out of radical optimism, but because of your radical generosity. Transform our hearts. Make us people who are like you. Help us to be better partners in the covenant relationship that you invite us into. For those who are here this morning and and they don't know you, and they've never experienced the freedom of grace and love, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would stir within their hearts just a sense of your presence. Where they have felt isolated and alone alone, Help them to sense how near you are. And that the invitation given by Jesus of just radical trust in a generous God to believe in him is enough. We offer all these things to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.